Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. The Healthcare Sterile Processing Association, HSPA, invites you to log on, listen and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome to the Process This Podcast. This is episode number 79. Thanks for joining me. Today I'm speaking with Samantha Jacques and Chris Nowak, and we're discussing the MDSC, Medical Device Servicing Community. Now, you may be asking yourself, what is the MDSC, the Medical Device Servicing Community? Well, guess what? You're in luck. Stick around with me and let's find out. So today we are speaking with Samantha, or Sam as she likes to be called. Now Sam is a PhD, F-A-C-H-E, and is Vice President of Clinical Engineering at McLaren Health, a 14-hospital system in Michigan and Ohio. She is a fellow in the American College of Healthcare Executives and sits on the board at AMI. She has a bachelor's and a PhD in biomedical engineering. Prior to McLaren, she was Director of Clinical Engineering at Penn State Health and Texas Children's Hospital. We are also speaking with Chris Nowak, a Senior Director for Healthcare Technology Management at Universal Health Services, UHS. UHS is one of the largest and most respected hospital management companies in the nation. UHS's principal business is owning and operating subsidiaries such as acute hospitals, behavior health centers, surgery hospitals, ambulatory surgery centers, and radiation oncology centers. UHS owns and operates 29 acute care hospitals and more than 300 behavioral health centers located in 32 states. Now, Chris oversees healthcare technology management for the UHS business, the HTM, formerly Clinical Engineering Program, includes all modalities of medical devices used in the diagnosis and or treatment of patients. So it's great to have both of these folks on the show. Like I said earlier, we are speaking with Sam and Chris, and we're talking about the medical device servicing community. Thank you for joining us today, guys. Hey, John. Uh, thanks for the invite. Uh, Sam and I are very happy to be here talking to our brethren in the sterile processing community. We're connected at the hip, right? It's uh, important that we are teamwork, really, because we're both there for the safety of the patient. So John, we're looking forward to really having a great conversation today and telling you a little bit about the medical device servicing community. Let's start off with what is the medical device servicing community? So the medical device servicing community is a constituency of individuals really that are focused on quality and safety related to servicing of medical devices, right? So anyone that's in the environment that has anything to do with servicing of medical equipment uh, uh, can and will belong to this group. So this includes everyone from in-house biomed or clinical engineering individuals within the hospital, all of the third-party repair companies that physically do the work, all of our original equipment manufacturers that may service their own equipment, anyone who actually has anything to do with that. 
Our group, though, also includes um, constituencies that are impacted, right, by, by servicing. So this includes users of the equipment, you in the sterile processing community is one example, uh, as well as associations that are out there, right, that uh, uh, such as we have the anesthesi Anesthesiology Association and, and others, right, that give us feedback from a user perspective. Anyone who belongs to any of these different types of groups can become a member of the medical device servicing community. So this is, from my knowledge, from my uh, uh, experience, this is kind of a newer group, right? So how did it come to be? Yeah, John, let me jump in on this one. This group has probably been bubbling up for quite some time. The OEMs primarily focused on some discussion about folks who service equipment throughout the United States specifically. And uh, there was a lot of controversy associated with some of the things that were being said in the healthcare community about servicing of medical devices. And there became a confusion, uh, a confusion about servicing uh, medical equipment and remanufacturing medical equipment. Uh, the FDA got involved and uh, the FDA tried to really define those groups of individuals and who was doing what to medical devices. Because obviously with medical devices, we have a 510K process that allows uh, devices to be uh, marketed in the United States. Mm -hmm. So uh, the way the medical device servicing community got involved or got started was through this process of OEMs uh, petitioning the FDA, uh, healthcare, uh, health delivery organizations being involved obviously a tremendous impact to HDOs, uh, as well as third parties that were involved in servicing medical equipment. So uh, I guess it was probably uh, maybe about 2015, 2016, uh, the FDA got us uh, all together, health delivery organizations, third parties, and uh, OEMs, original equipment manufacturers, got us together in Gaithersburg, Maryland, a uh, short distance from the uh, FDA headquarters, and we had a discussion and there were hundreds and hundreds of people uh, at this uh, meeting. And uh, out of that uh, meeting, the medical device servicing community evolved. And it evolved from a perspective of trying to get all of us together, all of us that had, uh, all of us stakeholders, if you will, including uh, not only the users of equipment, but also patients and patient advocates uh, associated with medical devices. And uh, again, out of this meeting back in 2015, 2016, birthed this group called the Medical Device Servicing Community. And the FDA suggested that we become a medical device servicing collaborative community. The FDA uh, developed collaborative communities, and there's a few of them. There's not a, a tremendous volume of collaborative communities, but they they pressed this, uh, this group to really work toward establishing a collaborative community. And we're on path, hopefully, uh, by the end of this year to uh, meet the requirements uh, of the FDA to have a collaborative community. So really, that's that was the genesis of the medical device servicing community. We continue to meet on a monthly basis. We have a steering committee, uh, again, comprised of uh, third party, OEM, uh, health delivery organizations, and all of those stakeholders involved in uh, medical devices or that are impacted by medical devices. 
So can you talk a little bit more about the purpose for this group? Sure, John, I can take that one. So uh, the MDSC has a, a charter and the official mission uh, of the MDSC is to bring together a very diverse community of stakeholders. We want to advance three things, particularly the safety, the effectiveness and the quality of medical device servicing. So all of the work that we do, all of the white papers we develop, all of the best practices we, we design and, and publish are really focused in one or more of those categories. And again, uh, safety, effectiveness and quality are really what, from a focus perspective, right, this very diverse group of individuals can get, uh, can get around, right? We all believe that keeping our patients safe is the number one priority. And so, right, working together, that's really what we're focused on is, is moving forward servicing uh, to help our patients and, and keep our patients safe. Some of the listeners to the show here are going to ask this question is, what does this have to do with sterile processing? Why does this matter to me in sterile processing? Yeah, John, that's a great question. I'll, I'll jump in on that one. So it really does matter. It, it, again, as, as Sam just uh, identified safety, effectiveness, and quality uh, of medical devices uh, in use in the healthcare environment. Well, medical device servicing is medical device servicing. You folks uh, handle those devices, a, a variety of de devices, not only uh, hardware, but also software, right? Uh, uh, there's also disposable products and, and reusable products that you handle. And uh, it, it does matter because we are, the, the medical device servicing community are directly involved with all of that. I think what was, is a great example, John, was the pandemic. Really, the pandemic uh, opened the eyes of many folks with regard to servicing medical devices. The uh, tremendous difficulty that could be presented in the event of uh, adversity. Adversity such as the uh, pandemic where some manufacturers refused to come in to our hospitals to service the gear. The supply chain was tremendously interrupted and to this day continues to be a, a challenge for all of us. So why does it matter for sterile processing? You need your uh, devices to function day in and day out. The patient that works, that walks through the front door of our healthcare facilities depends on us to be excellent every day. You, you and your team are counted upon to make sure that the diagnostic or therapeutic procedure that the patient comes into our facility for can have it timely, safely. And that's what we're all about as, as well in the medical device servicing community. We wanna make sure that the policies and procedures, the parts, the personnel, all of those folks that come into your facility or that are part of your facility have the tools, the knowledge, the know-how to repair your medical devices the first time accurately, safely, and uh, provide you the reliability that you need. So I was thinking about this the other day. When So my son, he, he was messing around the house, he was jumping on walls, and he put his foot through the wall. And, you know, I could go and I could go fix that, right? I could go to the hardware store. I could go to YouTube. I could yeah. learn how to fix that hole in the wall. But the problem is, is it's going to look like I put, like I fixed it, right? <laughs> but if I hire a professional 
then it's going to look good. They're going to match the texture. So when we get insulated instruments from a third-party repair, I can visually see that something's not right, just like you could visually see if I repaired a wall that it's not right. But things like flexible endoscopes, I, I would have no idea if it's done right. So how do we know that medical device servicers, that they're actually doing a good job, that they're, they're repairing that flexible endoscope like it should be? Oh, John, this is this is exactly what we in the medical device servicing community work on, right? Um, so I'll give you some examples, right? The first question you should be asking is, right, is the guy who touched my stuff trained, right? Does he know yeah. what he's doing, right? Did he, did he, you know, is it some fly-by-night guy in a in a in a garage with a with a jalopy truck coming coming to to drop <laughs> off your instruments, or Absolutely. right, or or is it somebody who's officially been trained, and so. One of the first things that, that we did as a medical device servicing community is put together training best practices, right? How to appropriately train someone to ensure they're competent to fix whatever they have to go ahead and fix. The next question you wanna you wanna start asking yourself is do you know that that the company does quality work? So maybe they have trained individuals, but their policies and processes, right, um, have holes or or lack the appropriate oversight to ensure that their work is quality. Those of us in hospitals, right, and both Chris and I actually uh, work for HDOs. So in the hospital, right, we are responsible for making sure whoever does our service, whether it's an OEM, whether it's a third party, whether it's one of the staff that reports to the two of us, we're responsible for making sure that those individuals are well trained and their work is of high quality. When you're um, when you can train the person yourself, right? I, I know that my staff do a good job because they rigorously rigorously go through my process. But if I'm if I'm working with some guy I'm hiring, right, to plaster a hole in my wall, I want to make sure they're following some standards or some regulations. So OEMs generally follow uh, FDA guidance, right? Uh, they always point to the FDA regulations that they follow. Now, for those listeners who don't know. Um, FDA actually uh, has a lot of regulations about designing, right, medical devices, uh, and they have to follow something called good manufacturing practices. So a lot of their servicing falls into these same types of quality, good manufacturing practices and uh, quality management systems. So generally, I'm going to say if you're working with an OEM, in theory, they should have the systems in place to know what they're doing. Great. Now, just like Chris said, during the pandemic, hospitals uh, got into all kinds of trouble because OEMs may or may not have come into your hospital to actually fix stuff and your stuff still needed to be fixed. So you went out to try and find third parties to do that, right? Uh, or hire somebody else to do that. So how do you know your third party, right, is is um, is regulated or, or has quality in their uh, in their processes? So FDA doesn't regulate third parties because they don't manufacture anything. And so I will tell you, if you're looking at a third party, there is a, a regulation called ISO 13485-13485. That is the equivalent, right, for third parties, which, again, gives them uh, good manufacturing practices type information and quality management system type information so that they have policies, processes, and backgrounds to go ahead and make sure that they're doing quality work. I will tell you there are a handful of hospitals that have gone uh, ISO 1345 uh, and gotten their approval. There's not many of them because, again, hospitals are regulated by CMS, right? We have a different set of regulations that we follow. And so fundamentally, you want to make sure, again, that that the, the group of people you're working with are trained 
and that they're following quality processes to make sure that they're doing uh, what they need to do. If they're not, it's up to you, right, as a, as a responsible sterile processing uh, person to stop using them, right? If they're not doing a good job, don't perpetuate a bad cycle, right? Move on to somebody else who will, in fact, do uh, quality work. Because, again, all of us are here to really keep our patients safe. And we can't uh, we can't allow individuals who are not trained and not qualified to go ahead and touch all of our equipment. So how does all of this align with the tools and the deliverables that MDSC has developed? Yeah, John, uh, I'm going to jump in on that one, Sam, if you don't mind. So the MDSC has been at work for a couple of years now. We want to make sure that what we're doing is safe and effective for not only the sterile processing professionals, but also in the end result uh, for the patient. The MDSC has been working. One of the first things that we developed that we targeted was uh, a, a, a guidance on a standard for training uh, servicing personnel. Uh, we recently uh, approved that and uh, published that uh, standard. It really defines what type of training that that person should have when they come into your facility to service any of your, your gear. Uh, and it really is a, a guidance, not only for uh, the in-house uh, clinical engineering professional, but also for the third party, for the OEM. Again, remember, this is a, a group that we are striving to become a collaborative community. So we're all involved. We were all participating in developing this training guides, this training information. And we even have folks from such organizations as a DNV Joint Commission that participate in the medical device uh, community. You know, we have input from all the appropriate people to drive uh, some great guidance for what we're doing. Sam alluded to the ISO 1345. So Sam did talk about healthcare uh, delivery organizations that have gone down that route. Uh, some of them have ISO 9000 uh, certification, uh, which is a, again, a part of a quality uh, standard. So what we're trying to drive toward is a, uh, is a quality standard that we can all use, that we can all develop and use. Sam mentioned the manufacturers required uh, through GMP when they're manufacturing trips the device, good manufacturing processes. They have ISO 1345. Many manufacturers have ISO 1345 because they service that gear that they manufacture. Well, as I said, 1345 for health delivery organizations, a lot of third parties have gone down that route. But from a, a nonprofit health uh, delivery organization, or even, uh, for instance, I work for a for-profit health delivery organization. Sometimes that process, that expense to go through that, it's uh, it can be unwielding and, and very uh, complex because we might own and operate many, many different facilities around the country. So it becomes a little bit more of a, a difficult success story to get something like a ISO uh, certification. So uh, the medical device servicing community is developing guidance and standards surrounding a quality process to use we've developed benchmarking standards. There have been uh, health delivery organizations, third parties that have delivered servicing information and we've crunched the numbers, we've all through volunteers, crunching the numbers to come up with certain benchmark standards about how long it takes 
to fix a device, how often a device needs to be serviced, things of that nature. So the medical device servicing community really is developing a, a lot of tools and deliverables associated with servicing instruments for the healthcare community in general, just not for hospitals, but for surgery centers, for physicians offices, and again, everybody's involved, the manufacturers, the third parties, and health delivery organizations. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I think that anytime we could have just some insight or just some information that help guide us, you know, through that process, it'd be great. So those are great tools. Thank you. Spot on, John. We, you know, we, we are not expert. What we have done is gathered the experts together and really developing these tools. Yeah, and I agree. I'll, I'll say that the community that we've created um, really gives a lot of their time, right? And so uh, all of you know, as we join groups, it's usually a volunteer effort, right? None of us are paid for any of this work that we do. Um, and yet the core group that we've put, pulled together is really, uh, they show up every month, right? We have, we have multiple meetings every month. They show up for work groups. They sign up to do work. They sign up to put these guidance documents together for anyone to use. And so the core group that we really have, it, not only are they really engaged with it, they're really passionate about the work that we're doing, you know, and, and we're really happy that the group has been working so well together because uh, fundamentally, right, uh, we have a mission, right? And the mission really is is improving patient care and everyone can rally around that. I don't think there's a single person, yeah. uh, whatever their role in healthcare that can't agree with, right, the fact that we need to ensure that our patients remain safe. Sure. Hey, let's pause for just a second. So are you looking to get a CE for this episode? Well, that's great. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, log on to the MyHSPA website, and make sure you use the code BIOMEDICAL. Again, the code for this specific episode is BIOMEDICAL. Now let's get back to our conversation. So one question I have is, when I send a, a device out for repair, I know that they're using parts, right? And they're probably not original parts. So in sterile processing, you know, how how do I know that those parts they're using are good parts? Yeah, that's a great question, John, because, you know, sterile processing departments and those professionals in those departments, not only they send gear out, obviously you have people come into service uh, gear, uh, you send it out. I, I, I always uh, shudder sometimes when uh, folks send, you know, a $35,000, uh, $40,000 uh, endoscope out to, you know, Joe the Ragman, as I say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it, yeah. is it is important, John, to, uh, to know who you're using, you know, make sure they're properly vetted. Maybe uh, see some of these organizations that have quality management systems in place, the ISO 1345, that they've gone through the exercise of uh, earning that ISO 1345 uh, certification. So, uh, you know, it's so important that, again, whether the sterile processing professional is handling that all on their own or they're connected at the hip with their clinical engineering pr uh, professional in the hospital themselves, that you all work together and you all are vetting these vendors that we're going to use. You know, one thing I wanted to talk about because you, you talked about the parts that are going in, you know, some of the third parties, let's, let's talk about the endoscope too. 
they don't usually have access to OEM parts. So there is this third party community that also develops and manufactures parts and they go through the same uh, GMP inspections by the FDA uh, that just uh, as any other manufacturer would go. Let's talk about the hardware that's in your facilities. So one of the things that's a little bit of a misnomer, I think, is uh, that all the parts that you get, let's say you're servicing a, a steam sterilizer, that all the parts that you're getting are new part. And that's not always the case, John. You know, the listeners that we have on today's podcast, hopefully they understand that you know, there's exchange parts. So when it, whether it's the manufacturer coming in to fix your equipment or it's your in-house clinical engineering team or the third party that you've hired, uh, they'll take those parts and exchange those parts. So you'll get another part that came in and that was probably more than likely a reworked part. So when a part fails in your machine huh. and it gets replaced, the manufacturer takes it back to their facility and they figure out what's wrong with it. Uh, especially, you know, down to the microchip, because hmm. part of that process is how to make it better. So that's why you have uh, manufacturers create different revision levels. So they might have a, a part on a circuit board that, hey, you know what? It seems like this part always goes out after uh, six months or maybe after uh, different uh, types of uses, this part will go out. So they'll go out and they'll develop and specify a new part. They'll find a a, a new integrated circuit that will perform better, that might take more electrical current than the old part. And it makes the system more reliable. So they create another revision level. You know, a lot of the third parties that have these certificate, that have good quality management systems that have an ISO 1345, they're aware of what the manufacturers are doing and they ensure that their part supply stays up to date with what the manufacturing is, is doing. So, uh, it's incumbent upon your selection, I guess, of uh, who you're developing your relationships with, your business partners, to make sure that you get good parts. Sam, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I will say for those of you sterile processing folks that that um, deal with your own contracts, right? One of the things I will say is if you have the ability to negotiate some of your own contracts, it might behoove you to add some language in your contracts around refurbished or retested parts, right? You always want to make sure and hold your vendors accountable, whoever they are, that the parts that you're getting have been refurbished uh, and they have the same warranty as a new part or the same, uh, you know, expectation as a new part. So it always saves us a lot of money, right, as, as healthcare organizations to go ahead and use some of these third-party yeah. vendors but you don't want them to just take a part off an old piece of equipment and not test it and put it into your, your device, right? Your sterilizer. Um, and really? so if you, ha yeah. if you have the ability or if your clinical engineering folks have the ability to contract, right? And look at some of those terms and conditions when you're contracting with your vendors, you may wanna start adding some clauses around the parts I'm putting in my equipment, right? Follow a quality manufacturing process, right? They're tested and they're safe. You know, and I know we talked about um, training earlier on. If you if you've got to hold a contracts, right? I would also add a, a, a training phrase, right? You know, yeah. uh, the staff that you're sending into my facility have been trained. It's a a vendor management type of of uh, process where you can start holding your vendors accountable to what your minimum set of expectations are around servicing. 
Yeah, and, and John, your your folks on the podcast now, they should not be embarrassed or they, they can ask the manufacturer or anybody for competency the documentation on the folks that are coming into their facility. That's absolutely 100% into the realm of responsibility and uh, they should be able to provide that to the sterile processing uh, professionals that are requesting that information. Yeah, that's that's great information. It's something we don't really think about all the time. So I'm glad you brought that up. That you know, hey, look at your contracts. You know, you know, you can rework those if you can. Add that training in. So that's some great advice. Thank you. Hey, in the end, it's us that are responsible, right? It's yeah. We can't we can't just point the finger and say, well, they did it. Well, no, no, <laughs> we're we're responsible. They're our patients that are coming through the front door. We need to make sure that we vet the parts and the people uh, to the best of our ability. Absolutely. All right. So last question for you guys, how can somebody get involved in this organization? Well, that's a wonderful question because we would love to have any one of your, your podcast listeners today, uh, you know, who are interested and passionate about, uh, you know, becoming involved, join us, right? So, the medical device servicing community has a LinkedIn page. If you guys want to go out there and search uh, medical device servicing community, you can join our LinkedIn page, right? And if you want to be one of those nice, quiet stalkers that just looks at all of our posts <laughs> and takes advantage of all the stuff we post, um, that's perfectly fine. Um, if you actually want to join for membership, right, uh, you can go ahead and email me directly. Uh, and uh, my email address is my first name, Samantha dot my last name jocks j-a-c-q-u-e-s uh, at mclaren.org m-c-l-a-r-e-n.org uh, and uh, we will get you through the application process for new members new members and members that join our group right obviously uh, if they're interested in any of our work groups or developing any of the white papers that we're working on we'll happily put you to work and and take <laughs> your expertise uh, you know uh, the expertise that your sterile processing community has is astonishing and so we would be happy for any of them to lend expertise to us uh, and really help drive some of the, the standardization and quality and the improvements uh, that we're looking to do across the entire industry. And so we're happy to have you guys join us. We, we do have some manufacturers that uh, are involved in the sterile processing community on the team. So we'd love to have uh, the professionals that work in the uh, facilities on the team as well. All right, so that has been a lot of great information. I've I've learned stuff today, and I appreciate both of you guys for coming on the show. Oh God, John, thank you for you and all of your sterile processing brethren. Chris and I were were so excited to join us today, and this was such a wonderful conversation. We we thank you very much for the opportunity. that's all the time we have for today. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Sam. Thank you for sharing a little bit about the MDSC. And thank you guys out there for listening to the show. So HSPA episode number 79 is in the books. Well, as you already know, each episode is on demand. So when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. And always, folks, stay classy and we'll see you next time.